Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin. This week, we are talking about the Tour de France stages one through four. Mark Cavendish just won on stage four, and then we'll we'll talk about that up top, and then we'll talk about the GC, where we are after three four stages. We've had three stages where uh, some some pretty significant GC changes, um, rather unusual, and then we have the time trial tomorrow, So, and we'll try to forecast where we will be after that. But first, if you want to support the podcast, please welcome our first ever sponsor. Um, Idaho and Foods is sponsoring the podcast for the Tour de France, and they are offering listeners 30% off any order at shop.idahoan.com during the tour if you just enter discount code BTP30 at checkout. Also, they offer a subscription service. So if you use BTP30 when you check out for your first subscription order, you'll get 30% off and then free shipping on your first order with 15% off and free shipping on every future order after that. Even if you don't get the subscription package, you can mix and match your favorite 100% real Idahoan potato products and receive free shipping on any order over $55. All the products are naturally gluten-free. Idahoan's 100% real Idaho potatoes are fresh-dried to make prep easy and done within minutes. Also, if you're just an active person, if you if you like riding your bike, running, did you know in 2019 the Journal of Applied Physiology concluded that eating potatoes during prolonged cycling is as effective as commercial carbohydrate gels to support exercise performance? Furthermore, potatoes are a promising, savory alternative for athletes because they are cost-effective, nutrient-dense, and a whole food source of carbs compared to the overly sweet carbohydrate gels. This is pretty significant because I find that gels and bars can give me an upset stomach during rides. I tend not to eat them um, because of that, and then I, I'm underfueled often. So, a natural potato product could be significantly better. And again, if you want to get that 30% off, just go to shop.idahoan.com. There's a link in the show notes and enter BTP30 at checkout. All right, back to the racing. So, Mark Cavendish, Mark Cavendish just won at stage four. This is uh, pretty shocking because Cavendish is, um, I think he's probably the greatest sprinter of all time, but. In recent years, he has been um, really, he seemed really washed up. He's 36 years old, which is, you know, might as well be 150 if you're a sprinter. That's really old for a sprinter. Um, he hasn't won a Tour de France stage in, since 2016, and I believe 2016 Tour win was the last time he won a road race in Europe. He's he seemed down and out for years. I mean, that is one, two, three, four, five years ago that he's had a significant win. Um, he went to Team Dimension Data as... His career kind of fell apart there. He almost retired last year. He got signed by Dakota Quickstep at the last second in the offseason. I thought it was just like a nice little publicity story for them. If he wins a few races, that's great for them. If not, uh, no skin off their back because they don't even have to pay their salary. Uh, Specialized is paying the sal- salary of the bike sponsor. So um, I thought that was a great signing, just like all upside for them. He did come out at the Tour of Turkey win one, two, three, four stages in a row and then won the last stage. So five out of the eight stages he won at the Tour of Turkey, I thought, well, that's the Tour of Turkey. You know, that's not even, you know, that's not on the level of a world tour road race. Um, But then he came to the Tour of Belgium right before the tour. He won the final stage, the sprint against Tim Tim Merlier and Pascal Ackerman, Dylan Gronewegen, Nancer Buhani, Brian Kikard, and Caleb Ewan. I mean, those guys are all, like, those are some of the best sprinters in the world at the moment. So, you know, right then I was a little, you know, I kind of stood up and noticed that, but I still thought, ah, can he really do this at the tour? You know, the tour of Belgium is a little bit different. Um, he looked pretty good in the intermediate sprints all tour. I would say the only rider faster than him was Caleb Ewan. And then of course, after Caleb Ewan crashed out yesterday, uh, you know, by logic, I guess that left him as the fastest rider. We probably all should have 
you know, kind of seen this coming. If you were smart, you would have bet on him to win the stage. I did not. I thought he was still kind of washed up. He smoked the inter- intermediate sprint today um, with 35k to go. And his teammate, one notable thing about that, Michael Morkov, is like the best leadout man in the sport. If you remember last year, he let out Sam Bennett to all of his intermediate sprint wins. And something Morkov does that's so special is um, after his sprinter passes him, he doesn't sit up. He just keeps going so he can get that second place uh, point point bonus as well, which takes it away from the rivals. That's primarily why Bennett won the green jersey in 2020 because Morkov was soaking up all those second place points. So that um, I, that was really, really interesting to see. And Cavendish did look the strongest. And we had this weird thing where the sprinter teams just wouldn't pick, wouldn't take up the chase. We had Brent Van Moore from Ladu Sudal off the front until late, late, late in the stage. Didn't catch him until 200 meters to go. There's just no team would take up the pace. I Actually, it's been like this all all tour so far where you see the pack with like 20k to go and they're just bunched up they're just there's no point of the arrowhead it's just like a blunt front of the peloton and then they're packed as tightly as you could be on the road and no one can move up um you get a lot of that's primarily why there's been so many crashes and it was like that until like 6k to go i couldn't believe it Dakota quick step didn't end up doing that much work it was primarily fdj Team and Team DSM, and then Alpacin Phoenix sprinkled in there. Alaphilippe hit the front hard with about a kilometer to go, which which probably made the difference. That was enough to pull back Van Moore. He gets caught. Cavendish wins. You know, I, looking back, I I do wonder if Cavendish's dominance in the intermediate sprint, specifically today, kind of tipped off the other sprinters who thought, hmm, he might just beat us if this comes down to a sprint finish. And that's why there was such a reluctance to work because everyone's thinking, well, why would I work for Dakota Quick? Dakota Quickstep, who's going to win the stage anyway. Um, and that's almost delivered the stage to Van Moore um, on Lado. I also pointed out yesterday in the newsletter that uh, Lado was going to poise uh, kind of a problem for the sprinters teams because with Caleb Ewan, they would have been, been invested to chase. Now they have a team here built almost entirely around Caleb Ewan the sprints, and Caleb Ewan is gone. So they're just going to be attacking every day, and they're a strong team. So that makes things a lot more a lot more difficult for the team of the sprinters, and we saw that today where Ben Moore almost stuck that breakaway. Um, and normally, he wouldn't be out front. He would have been pulling on the front of the peloton for Caleb Ewan. I mean, Cav- the, the sprint was crazy. It was really long. You know, these sprints have been, they've, they've not been typical Tour de France sprints, which are normally like these wide open boulevards, super, super high speed. Uh, yesterday and today were both kind of I thought quite technical for the tour. It's something you maybe you'd see more at the Giro d'Italia. Um, Cavett, but it worked out perfectly for Cavendish because I think he's he's just not as fast. You know, it's like normal. You're just, you don't have the explosive speed in your late 30s that you did in your 20s. He's not as fast as he used to be, but he's super strong. And this was like a strongman sprint. It went, he went really far out. Um, Jasper Philipson on Alps in Phoenix. Interesting, he was sprinting after his teammate Tim Merlier won yesterday. Then they switched roles, and Merlier was uh, leading him out. That was kind of interesting. Philipson is a, is a really fast sprinter. Uh, I guess they think he's faster than Merlier. I was surprised by that. Uh, but Philipson was on the front way too early. You know, he like let it out from like 250, 300 meters, and Cavendish just had to sit on his wheel, and then he just kind of came around him, just like perfectly came around him at the end. Thought that was pretty impressive. Nancer Buhani gets second. The guy cannot win a stage of the Tour de France. It's impossible for him. He's been trying for like the last 10 years. Uh, he was like the new kid, hotshot new kid on the block a few years ago. Now he's 30. Uh, never won a tour stage, really wants to. And it looks like it's not going to happen. He's getting uh, f- 
foiled by a 36-year-old Mark Cavendish. Uh, Michael Matthews is fourth. Peter Sagan is fifth. Seispol is sixth. You know, you have guys like Mads Pedersen in eighth. I thought he might be a little bit better. Um, Sonny Cabrelli in 11th. I thought he would, you know, play a bigger part in this. Matthew Vanderpool's 12th probably could have won the stage if he wanted to. That is crazy to me. He's not sprinting in these stages, but uh, t- seems to work, work out well for the team. I mean, he wins on Sunday. His teammate wins on Monday with him leading him out. And then now they're all working for another guy on Tuesday. Um, it's kind of like a, a total football, if you remember. You know, like the Ajax squads of, I guess, Ahawks is maybe what they say in the Netherlands of the 70s. And then kind of like how Pep Guardiola coaches Man City now where everyone can play every position. That's kind of what Alpes and Phoenix is doing. And it, it is, and it's working. It's pretty impressive. And they really only care about these first, you know, this first week. That's, that's their goal at this tour. Um, and I guess, who, who am I to, to criticize that? But I, I really thought Vanderpool might have been able to win this stage. You know, and then you have riders like uh, Max Walshide in 16th from Quebec Next Hash. I thought he would be better. Brian Cacard in 17th. Um, just a lot of good sprinters buried. Woot Van Aert in 25th. He didn't even really contest. He didn't contest the sprint finish today or yesterday, uh, which was surprising because last year he won two sprint stages and appeared pretty dominant and maybe like he could have won more if he wanted to. So I was a, a little shocked by that as well. But I have a little theory on that I'll share, uh, I'll share later. Um, other takeaways from the sprint are Cavendish could win more of these. Um, so he's now only three wins behind tying Eddie Merckx's all-time Tour de France stage win record of 34 stages. You know, there are three more sprint stages, so he could, you know, he, he could tie Merckx. He looked really good today. And, and most notably, no one else looked that good. You have, uh, like Pascal Ackerman and Sam Bennett are probably the two best sprinters in the world at the moment and, or at least talented, you know, along with Caleb Ewan and neither of those guys are here. So it's wide open in the sprints. Um, and if Cavendish can keep this up, he, he could definitely win more stages. Uh, I was really, he looked like a different person than he's been the last four years. I was really impressed by that. Uh, probably not a, Probably not a coincidence that it's he's now back at Dakota Quickstep, where which is you know that's where the team he was on when he was dominating from like 2011 to t- 2015, and then he had one good year at Dimension Data, and then was just bad for the last three years there. Pretty pretty damaging for that team. Kind of a damning indictment of their of their internal processes that he could just be so bad. You know, they have a lot of riders go there um, and then aren't good, and then they move on and they're good again. So definitely not a great sign for that team. Um, FDJ did like all the work all day for our Arno Demar, who is a talented sprinter, but you know just just really puts up a donut here. I mean, he he finished finishes forty six. Like I don't know what happened there. He must have just lost position. But um, super talented French sprinter just really really struggled with that position. I couldn't believe that. That he probably will be um, if he's healthy. He'll be the biggest challenger to Cavendish maybe for the rest of the race. Uh, if we go to green really quick, the sprint jersey, Cavendish is now leading that. He looks pretty good in it because um, he's winning all these intermediate sprints and then winning stages. So you might think, well, the guy's going to win it. But you have Michael Matthews at 78 points, um, only 11 points behind him. Matthews is going to pick up a lot of these points. Uh, when we get to harder stages, you know, the sprint points will be in between mountains and Cavendish has no chance uh, whatsoever to get over those mountains and get the points. So that really helps Matthews. Sagan really took a hit yesterday with that crash. He actually didn't look that beat up today. Um, Kip Taylor, reader, listener, friend, uh, texted me last night that he thought Sagan maybe lucked out in that crash because Ewan 
went like sideswiped him and went underneath him. And, and Sagan was sliding on top of Ewan for a lot of that crash, which, you know, he didn't have a lot of lost skin today. He doesn't have a lot of road rash. So, you know, he could bounce back from that, but he did lose a lot of points in that sprint. You know, it's hard to recover. Like, if you want to win green, you can't have many stages where you just don't contest the sprint. So that crash really, really hurts him because now he is, he's 30 points behind Matthews. That's going to be pretty hard to make up. He's going to have to go on some big raids on mountain stages to try to catch Matthews out. And Matthews, it looks good. You know, he's not as fast as he used to be in the sprints, but he looks very strong. Um, he would, Matthews would probably be my favorite to win green um, over Cavendish. I just think Cavendish you know, even in the best of times, he struggles to make time cuts. So, you know, he's either not going to make it to the race or he's not going to be able to pick up points, uh, green points in the mount, green jersey points on mountain stages. All right. So let's talk about the GC picture really quick. Um, the first three stages all had GC gaps, which is really rare. Usually it's just like, the tour starts really on in like slow motion. You don't have many, you know, maybe you have a prologue or a time trial at the beginning, and then you have like five or six stages where nothing happens. But, you know, especially on stage three, which was the easiest of the first three stages, you know, we had significant GC gaps, um, GC gaps that are bigger than a lot of mountain stages. You had Richard Carapaz, you know, kind of skating through unscathed this um, gauntlet of crashes in the final 10K. And he finishes in the lead group. Him and Julien Alaphilippe and Wout Van Aert are the only, I guess, Matthew Vanderpool. But we'll, we'll just say Wout Van Aert, Julien Alaphilippe, and Carapaz are the only, like, quote-unquote, serious GC contenders in that front group. And then Tadej Pogacar was 26 seconds back because he got, I guess he got caught behind a crash with 4K to go. Um, and he's back there with Garrett Thomas, Rigoberto Uran, and then Primoz Roglic went down really hard, loses a minute and 21 seconds. So not good at all. Um, the time is bad because you know, he loses nearly a minute to Pogachar. Him and Pogachar in those first two stages were just glued to each other. They looked completely equal. So um, if Roglic was going to beat Pogachar, he was, you know, the margins were going to be thin. And then now he's starting with, you know, a minute penalty, essentially. Um, it's not clear to me how he makes up that minute. Every second's going to count in this fight between Roglic and Pogachar, And in, in addition to the time, he's now just completely beat up. He looked like he got run over by a truck. Uh, he got, you know, it looked like he got pushed out of the peloton. I think what happened is he touched Sonny Cabrelli's wheel in front of him. And then it kind of shot him out. When you, know, when you touch someone's wheel you, with your front wheel, uh, their rear wheel is a lot more stable. A lot of times they're fine, but you're, you lose control of your bike and you can kind of get shot, um, kind of like a, like a shot, like a cannon. And you can get some pretty bad crashes from that. I would guess that's what happened. He went down so hard. He looks so beat up. Um, it's, and this is terrible because there's a time trial tomorrow on Wednesday, stage five. I mean, we have a mountain stage on, on Saturday and Sunday. So yeah, I, and I was thinking, I don't think I've, I can't recall a rider who's crashed, who's had a bad crash and then went on to win the Tour de France. Um, I, you know, maybe in the eighties, maybe like a Bernard Hinault or Greg LeMond that I'm not remembering. It's hard to, it's hard to believe that Garrett Thomas didn't have a crash when he won in 2018, but you know, maybe he went down on stage one, but it, it was definitely wasn't a serious crash. So you're just, you're just in such a hole and you get worse and worse and worse as time goes on because your body, um, gets like a little adrenaline rush at first. And then it starts to deteriorate as you lose, you know, you're just not sleeping as well. You're not recovering. Your body's using resources to regrow skin instead of ride fast. 
it's not a, it's not a good situation. I would say it kind of pains me to say I'm a huge Ruglitch fan. I thought you know he could mount a serious challenge to Pogachar this year. I think he's done, um, which is really really unfortunate. I know I we were gonna get I thought we were gonna get this like battle between these two superior Grand Tour riders, this kind of pure battle. Uh, that looks like it's not going to happen. And I, but you know, maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe every year, you know, no one gets a clean run at it, and then the winner is just a rider who doesn't crash. You know, that that might be how it is. And I'm just, you know, you just don't remember it that way. Like in 1999, U.S. Postal ripped it over a stage, and it was a stage in Brittany that went over the passage Passage du Gois that is like underwater for half the day, and then they raced it on the half of the day that it wasn't underwater. But that's a terrible idea because it was all mossy. Everyone but U.S. Postal crashed, and then Lance Armstrong won that tour. So, you know, this does happen. It happens more than you remember. The first two stages were, it was all Pogachar Roglic in the GC competition. You know, I was shocked. I mean, Carapaz was 18 seconds behind Pogachar after two stages, after two fairly easy stages. So right there, I was thinking, oh, man, uh, Carapaz is probably the third best rider in this race, and he's you know, losing significant time in the first two stages. You might think, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, that's not, you know, that's nothing. But, you know, these tours are won by about a minute or less. I mean, Pogachar was dominant last year. I think he won by a minute. He won by less than a minute, 59 seconds. So 18 seconds in two, you know, fairly easy days is a big deal, especially when he can't time trial. But then Carapaz kind of turned the tables on stage three. And this was a great example of what team strength can do for you. Um, you know, the harder the stage, the less important the team because you're just going to have less riders with you. And it's kind of mano y mano. It's just about individual strength. But on these stages that are like medium hard to not that hard, but have tr- tricky sections, it's all about your team keeping you up and out of trouble. And Carapaz had the strongest team. He had Mikhail Kiyakoski, like a personal bodyguard who, you know, is a former world champion, one of the best riders, you know, technical riders in the world. And he just kept Carapaz at the front. You know, they missed the crash with 10K to go that takes down like the entire Yumbo team plus Ruglitch. You know, they, they missed the crash with 4K to go that takes down Jack Haig and held up Pogachar and a lot of the other GZ contenders. And he just kind of unscathed, just, you know, rides to the stage finish, doesn't, you know, gains time on almost everybody. It just shows how important it is to have a strong team on these stages like that. And on that note, Pogachar was pretty much alone. I, he, I guess he finished with three, there was three teammates with him. You know, I think they only caught him because that crash held people up and then they they were able to ride up to Pogachar. But you know, if you look at screenshots with like 15k to go, I put some of these in the newsletter. You know, he's by himself. He's just like at the front of the race by himself, which you never see a GC contender do. They're almost always tucked behind their team. Um, he's expending a lot of energy doing that, but on the on the other hand, you know, that's possibly a slight advantage because he's not relying on his team. You know, Roglic is just like you know, lumbering around the pack behind his team. You know, they've been caught up in three big crashes now. At the beginning of stage three, Garrett Thomas goes over a speed bump, loses his uh, grip on his handlebars, goes down, takes down the entire Yumbo team. So that's three crashes they've now been caught up in. Um, so every time Roglic is on their wheel, you know, that's a huge liability because if they go down, they're all going down. Um, and you're just, you know, you're not you're not floating around nimbly. Like Pogachar is just like popping around at the front of the group. You know, he's less likely to get caught up in a crash. He's spending a lot more energy. But, you know, when a split does happen, when a crash does happen, you know, he's easier to, he can react it to him more because he's seen everything happen as opposed to just sitting on his teammate's wheel and then things are happening to him. You know, when there's a crash, Roglic is just like, doesn't know what's going on. And it's like a domino effect coming back to him. 
while this is like a big, you know, a big negative, it can also help him. And I think it is helping Pogachar because he is just such a good bike handler. He's really, it's like he seems unfazed up there and he's just floating around, staying out of trouble by himself. And these are the stages that are bad for him. I mean, he did lose 26 seconds, but he had built up such a buffer that it's not a big deal. He's, he's, only, he's only eight seconds behind Carapaz with the time trial coming up tomorrow, which, which really suits him. Um, so he's able to mitigate that well. You know, it kind of reminds me of stage seven of last year where he gets caught out in the crosswinds. This is a minute and a half, and like, that's his bad day. You know, that's where he's going to lose time. But that's not enough time. The others took on him, you know, a minute and a half, and he just pegged it back and won the race by a minute. So 26 seconds won't be enough, but it is pretty impressive on Carapaz's part. And also, um, Garrett Thomas. So Ineos came into the, uh, we talked, we talked a lot about this. I maybe talked about this too much, but they came into the race with four leaders. I was like, wow, this could be a big issue. Uh, they lose two on the first day, Teo Gegenhart and Richie Port, uh, just lose loads of time getting caught up in crashes on the first day. That is not surprising. That's like Richie Port's calling card. That's why he doesn't have, never wins grand tours. Uh, Garrett Thomas looked, uh, actually Carapaz gets dropped on stage one, which was kind of, I thought really crazy. I don't know what was going on there. Um, thought he was stronger than that. And then Thomas gets dropped on stage two. So, you know, not a good situation where they're doing a lot of the work on both of those stages. They're kind of riding the race like they're the leaders, which is just funny that everyone thought they wouldn't do that because they guess they said in the press that they were going to race differently and in a more fun manner. Uh, clearly that was a lie and just like winding us up and making us you know, root for them, but they're, they're just back to their old ways of just sitting on the front controlling the race, which makes sense. I, I do not grieve them for doing that. They should definitely do that. But it wasn't working that well for the first two stages. They were doing a lot of work and then losing time at the finish, just setting others up to beat them specifically on stage two at the, beginning, at the bottom of the Mude Britannia. Port and Thomas are just drilling it. You can see in their faces they're suffering. And then you look behind and there's a massive peloton and no one's in trouble. Um, that was not a great sign. That was like, oof, these guys, it's like a, they, it was like a time machine had like, you know, or like quick evolution. Like, you know, they, they were dominating five or six years ago, but then it's like, there's this whole new crop of younger riders that are so much faster. And it was just like, oh my God, like these guys do not stand a chance. I thought, I found it really shocking as a, someone in their thirties myself, it was a little depressing. Like, oh my God, we don't stand a chance against these 20 somethings. Um, and they both just kind of got, they got jettisoned out the back when things got serious on that. It was a short climb, like a kilometer long climb and they get dropped. Um, and if you look back at the Mooded Britannia, you know, it's a short climb, it's a steep climb. And you might think, oh, it's not that relevant. It happens in the first week and every time it's in the race, but every time it's occurred, you know, the eventual winner of the tour is in the front 10 riders on the Mooded Britannia. So uh, it, it, it does portend things to come. It, it can tell you how people's fitness is. And that fitness doesn't change that much throughout the tour. You know, as much as you might think, oh, it's three weeks away, everything's going to be different then. It do- actually doesn't change that much. You know, the people that are fit on day one are the people that are usually fit on day, day 21. Ineos was having trouble in the first two stages. Thomas crashes the beginning of stage three, dislocates his shoulder, uh, has to get it popped back into place, chases on, um, almost doesn't make it on. And then loses time in the in the finale. So I think the team is all in. Ineos must be all in for Carapaz. Um, Thomas did a great job of getting through that stage, and he gets through today. But you know, if you remember Ted King, this must have been eight years ago, seven years ago. He dislocated his shoulder, and then he got to the time trial and missed the time cut because it's so hard to get into the time trial position in um, with a dislocated shoulder. So I think that's going to be a huge problem for him, and I think that's part of the reason why Ineos was driving the pace 
for Carapaz after Thomas had been dropped on stage three. Um, it looks a little strange, but I think they're just totally in on Carapaz at this point. And then they should be. I mean, he could win this tour if, if things keep breaking his way and going against Pogachar, he could win. It probably won't happen, especially you know, with this TT coming up. I think he's going to lose a lot of time to Pogachar, and he's, he can't climb as well as him either. So, you know, it's an uphill battle, but, you know, if they play their cards right, he could win. You know, it's, not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. All right, so um, I mentioned Moot Van Art earlier. I just want to talk. I, I, I feel like I'm a crazy per like I'm like a, someone on the street corner yelling like conspiracy theories about this, but um, it was really interesting at the end of stage three where so Roglic crashes, a lot of, you know, Jonas Vindegaard goes down, Sepp Kuss goes down, Tony Martin goes down, all Yumbo riders, um, two of them pretty high up in the GC. Um, Yumbo brings their entire team back to pace those guys back on, except Woot Van Art. Woot Van Art stayed in the front group. Um, and, you know, I think at the time, I thought I heard the commenter say, like, well, he's going for the stage win. Uh, but then he didn't even sprint for it, and he didn't sprint for it today. So it's like, well, what was Woot Van Aert doing up there? I guess he said he wants to take the yellow jersey in the time trial, which, which, could, which could happen. You know, he's, if we look at the GC, he's 31 seconds behind Vanderpool, 23 seconds behind Alaphilippe, and one second behind Carapaz. So he is the second best time trialist in the world behind Filippo Ghana. The guy can jam on a TT bike like, like 34 miles an hour sustained. Um, and the time trial tomorrow is like a fairly flat to rolling 27K long time trial. He's going to smoke that TT. He'll probably take the yellow jersey. I do think my dark horse, my dark horse pick is Julian Alaphilippe. I, he could, he's been time trialing so well, he could, in theory, shock everyone and take the yellow jersey after that. But let's just say Van Aert takes it, you know, even if he does. So let's say he takes it. I guess he wants the yellow jersey. Apparently, that's what he said. You know, I, that's, you know, that's a big deal. He'd probably have it if we look at the, if we look at the route, he'd probably hold it for a while. Um, possibly into the third week, you know, without too much trouble, you know, he's not going to, you know, a lot of these mountain stages are downhill finishes. He's not going to get distance until if he was distance until like the big summit finishes in the third week, but, but he's so good. You know, Yumbo must know this and must be thinking about this. He was climbing so well at the 2020 tour. You know, it's, it's not out. I don't think it's crazy to think he could win this thing overall. And no one's talking about it. He is riding so under the radar. He's such a good time trialist, and he's such a good climber. He's not. He's not going to drop a ton of people. He's not going to attack, and he's not going like Tade Pogachar. But if you remember, like Terreno Adriatico, and things got tough, you know, he could hang with everyone. Pogachar was the only rider that could distance him. He was dropping Bernal. He was dropping Garrett Thomas. It was the same thing at the Tour last year. He was so good on the climbs, and he's such a good time trialist. And he's also really good at getting himself to these tricky stages, like stage three. You know, he unsupported just stays in the front. He's he's such a good one day rider um, and bike handler and cyclocross rider that he can handle himself. You know, on these really tricky stages, so he doesn't lose time on tricky stages like Pogachar or Roglic. He's actually better than them in the time trial, and he's nearly as good on the climb. So I, it's not completely crazy. I think that he could win the overall. And it's that's not because I have a bet on him to win that would like, you know, pay off like thousands of thousands of dollars. It's it's unrelated to that, I promise. Um, but then yeah, Alaphilippe is the same, you know, I would almost make the same argument argument for Alaphilippe. No one's talking about him for the GC. He's eight seconds behind Vanderpool. You know, he's either gonna be winning the race or in second after this time trial. And the the guy is climbing so well. He's also you know, time trialing really well as we saw it. Tour Switzerland. 
Um, Tour Switzerland was a terrible race for him. You almost couldn't come up with a worse race for him. It's like time trials and climbs, two time trials and climbs and mountains in an eight-week, eight-day race. And he would have gotten third if he wouldn't have left to attend the birth of his child. You know, that's by far his, that would by far would have been his best ever one day res, or one week stage race result. I think he, I think he's gotten a lot better at sustained climbing and time trialing. So don't write off any of these guys, Philippe or Van Art. you know, they're, you know, they, sh, people should be worried about them, specifically Ineos. <laughs> Other than you have Wilco Kelderman riding like the race of his life. He was up there both days on stages one and two, which like, you have to be so good to be a GC rider, to be up with Pogachar and Roglic and Wutvenar and Julian Alaphilippe on those finishes, and he was right there. Don't get fooled by Gelderman. He can look really good in the first you know, two weeks of a Grand Tour. He tends to fall apart in the third week, and he just is not, he does not have the killer instinct. You know, he, maybe he could ride to a top five. I doubt he could get to a top three. I'd actually put my money on Alaphilippe or Van Aert to finish ahead of him. And, um, and then you have riders like Enric Mass. You know, it's kind of an interesting, you know, it, it's, it's kind of been a, a bummer of a race in some ways because we have so many crashes. We have so many riders out of contention already. Um, Roglic is probably gone. You know, probably, he's probably the second best rider in the race. You have even of like wild cards like Miguel Angel Lopez, who are really far down, Emmanuel Bookman, Guillaume Martin, Richie Port is like three and a half minutes back. But you look at this top 10, there's actually some interesting stuff here. So if Enric Maas at 40 seconds back, you know, he's a good time trust and climber. Nauro Quintana at 40 seconds back. Um, terrible time trust and climber in recent years, but I don't know. He's looked pretty good. You know, he was attacking on stage two. That, that's not his type of finish, but to attack on a climb like that, you have to be so strong. Um, so he's definitely feeling somewhat well. Um, and then David Gaudu in 10th, you know, 52 seconds back, you know, he's a good climber and he's, he can ride well for three weeks. He's, he's proven to us. So um, as far as podium to top fives, there are still some, some really talented riders up here um, like Mass, Cantana, David Gaudu, Kelderman. And then you have like uh, uh, Sergio Higuita, Baco Melema, Rigoberto Uran, Esteban Chavez, Vincenzo Nibali, actually surprisingly still only 55, he's 55 seconds back. You know, that's something to keep an eye on as the race goes on. I've not heard his name mentioned once, but, um, you know, possibly he rode himself into some type of form at the Giro. And, you know, he's, I don't think he's going to win this race overall, but he could, you know, he could steal a stage, get the jersey for, for at least a small amount of time. But I think ultimately we're going to know a lot more after this TT tomorrow. You know, sometimes the, the TTs can be incredibly boring, but when they, don't overdo them and they spread them out throughout the race and they put one at you know somewhere close to the beginning i think it makes it a lot more interesting because you know some riders are going to be like so far down after tomorrow that they're going to have to attack versus last year where you had riders like miguel angle lopez like still in the top three but with a looming time trial they were effectively down minutes but they didn't believe it or they didn't know it or they thought well maybe i'll have a good time trial so people tend to sit in more and wait for the tt even if they don't have a chance Versus uh, by spreading the, t- the time trials out, they're gonna make they're gonna force riders to attack, you know. And, and maybe if Roglic can can get some sort of recovery from this crash, you know, I think he could be he might be the wild card attacker in the mountains, and he is so strong, you know. It's like sure when like Mika Landa is trying to blow up the race, that's not really gonna work. But when you have Primoz Roglic trying to blow up the race, you know, that could get really really tricky. Um, especially if Woot Van Arch stays up high up in the GC, you know, Yumbo's going to have some interesting cards to play there where, 
you know, they could they could try to isolate a few of these riders, like Carapaz, Pogachar specifically will certainly be isolated on these mountain stages. And what's he going to do if Roglic attacks, you know, two or three climbs from the finish? You know, how seriously are they going to take him? They probably won't peg him back right away. You know, th- there is a theory that, you know, if you remember, Pogachar loses time on stage seven of the 2020 tour. He attacks on stage eight, makes back like, you know, over 50% of that time because he lost time. No one pegged him back. So, you know, the time isn't totally linear. It's not like, well, you lost a minute and a half, so you're screwed. Well, it's like, well, now you're going to have a little bit of more freedom to get away. People won't watch you as closely. Um, and so sometimes you can take back time you've lost early later in the race. Um, it will just be a question of if he can physically recover or not. Um, as much as I want him to, uh, the evidence does not point to the fact that he will recover. Um, and I feel the same way about Garrett Thomas, if not even more concerned about him, where uh, road rash is one thing, but the dislocated shoulders, especially with you can't really stand up and you can't really time trial, um, kind, of a, kind of an issue in the Tour de France. Well, I'll be checking in after this time trial on after this time trial tomorrow. I'll get something out on Thursday or Friday, kind of uh, you know going over where we are and then where we're going and uh, some of the mountain stages in the weekend. Um, and remember, you can sign up for the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free edition that comes out once a week, and then there's a paid edition that comes out daily. So you get daily analysis during the Tour de France. Um, there's a lot of screenshots and little videos in there that kind of illustrate how how the stages were won and you know why things went down the way they did. So if you want to sign up for that, be on the peloton.substack.com. All right, well, have a great day and enjoy the time trial tomorrow. Bye.